right, you guys, let's listen up. We won a game yesterday. And if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. So let's see some hustle. Let's jack it up a little. I got a feeling things are about to turn around for us. Be on their way, leading 9-4. to four. Atlanta has him first and third with one out. So we're not dead yet. Acuna with a three RBI game gets credit for the sack fly. Flaherty scores to make it 9-5. to five. Backhanded by Rojas. Underhands to the covering pitcher. And he lobs it over his head. It rolls to the on-deck circle with all these scoring. Freeman at first with two out. And the Braves again down to their final strike. The 2-2. Up the middle. Base hit. Freddie's going to score. And the Braves, believe it or not, bring the tying run to the plate. Incredible. Suzuki, the last bench player left for the Braves. Right on right matchup, first pitch. Line! Base hit to left. Marquecas around third, coming to the plate. He will score. It's 9-8. to eight. One thing you got to respect about the Braves, they don't quit. Two walks and a single, and the Braves have them loaded. And now it's Dansby Swanson's turn. The 2-2 pitch. Line drive! Chasing Dansby Swanson into the outfield. A rocket down the left field line. The Braves rallying all the way back from five runs down in the ninth inning. I suppose it could be the C word. What the hell does that have to do with anything? We're contenders now. <gasps> you just said the C word. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposedly for-profit venture that is the frustration of my life known as the Stone On Air Podcast. The weekly dose for, I hope, May 23rd. It looks like it's going to work out. I'm having incredible technical difficulties, which I'll explain more here coming up shortly. So I had all kinds of plans, and I know some of you might be like, oh, here goes Brian complaining again. That's what he does best, right? Finally getting the show back on a a regular track on a Wednesday download, or at least that's the idea. And I'm in the process of moving this studio. It's the equipment and wherever I happen to put it. Into my garage. I think it's going to be a better place for it down there. Get it away from some of the ambient noise of the upstairs where the air conditioner runs. And where my cat will occasionally, you know, come in and jump up on the damn table and start meowing like hell. And just little things that could uh, that, that, that annoy me in the section that it's at right now. And uh, I have a lot of uh, makeshift equipment. It all works really well. I can do anything a radio station can do. I just have to work a little bit harder to do it. And I um I have three computers. 
One is very old. It's a desktop where I normally record everything into the desktop because it's been kind of old Mr. Trusty. Now it's eaten up with some viruses and it's, you know, I don't have any uh, virus protection on there right now. But I don't use the internet on it much. I only use it basically to check email and to post to SoundCloud and to post to social media. And it all of a sudden just, it, it didn't stop working, but it the file, or excuse me, the software that the audio dumps into, it just ke- it keeps sticking. And so, you know, when you see an audio file, you know, you see those things going up and down as, as the voices get higher or lower, higher or lower, and you see the little wave file. Well, it just keeps sticking, and then it's not recording, and it's stutter-stepping, and it's ruining everything I'm trying to do. And so I restart it, still doing it. Restart it again, start closing everything out, still doing it. And so it, to me, that means basically this computer is pretty much toast and I'm going to have to replace it. Now, it has years of audio files and information on it that I do not want to lose. So I'm going to have to do something about that here in the next week or so. But so, all right, well, right, I just said I have three computers, right? So I can go grab one of my other ones. The one, the small little uh, multi-use flip, it's either a uh, laptop or a tablet, depending on how you want to use it. And it is a, let's see, what is it? It's an HP, and it is one of the biggest pieces of shit I have ever purchased in my life. And, I mean, it is a lemon. This thing is absolute garbage. I bought it about a year and a half ago. I haven't used it in six months because the thing sucks so bad. It's the worst tablet you've ever used. It's the worst laptop you've ever used. Imagine buying a computer that seemed like right out of the box, as soon as you plugged it up, it had viruses ridden all over it. That's what this computer is like. I have not used it for anything other than to record in and to check email and to email to myself and maybe Facebook, SoundCloud possibly. That's it. This this piece of machinery, this piece of God, garbage i uh i got just for the road shows just for the uh, the tour stops as i would call them and i haven't done one in a while and i won't do a lot in, in my original goal is to do a lot of those i found those to be um uh to be very ineffective overall uh at least in the capacity that i was doing them before but i bought this just for that it was only to be used to record into to my uh, adobe audition software and then to uh, to edit and then post it and then move along. This is not high end software like state of the art stuff. All right, this this is this is ten years old. This version it's twenty years old from its original cool edit version. Sorry to use some of the jargon on you. This piece of shit doesn't work either. So it's stutter stepping on me a little bit too. I hope it doesn't cut out. I hope it doesn't make this whole thing a total waste. But I was doing some editing on the laptop, excuse me, on the desktop last night, and I had twice it shut down on me, and I lost all my edits. So I had no option except for to go to this piece of crap, uh, the 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 small two in one. Oh my god! All right, so now I've already I've spent seven minutes of the damn show just bitching and complaining. I apologize. Jesus, lost all my train of thought of what I was gonna do, and let's just try to get these this this train back on the tracks. This is the Stone On Air podcast. This is May 23rd, 2018, the weekly dose. I do this show every week. A lot of you already know that. If you're new to the show, sorry you had to stumble upon this one. I promise you this show some of the time is at least listenable and most of the time is better than the way this wreck 
has begun. All right. Okay. Let's see where we're at here. Um, it was on my notes here for the show sheet open. Calm before the Bonnaroo storm is kind of right now. It's, it's two weeks away from Bonnaroo. No calm tonight. Uh, so hopefully by next week, I'm going to move this damn studio into the garage. And I guess I'm going to go buy a new computer. Had to take a tree down the other day. It cost 750 bucks. I need a new car. That's one of the segments or the points I want to bring up in this open. I might as well do it right now. I got. I need a new car. Old trusty, the Echo, that I've been driving since 2002 is basically dead. It, it still kind of works, but not really. I'm 38 years old. I've never bought a car. I have no idea what to do. I don't, I don't know how you buy a car. I mean, all right, sure, I get it. You give cash. Someone gives you an automobile. You've made a purchase. I understand that. But there's so many different ways to do it. There's so many different ways to get ripped off. There's so many different ways to manipulate money as far as financing and trade-ins and um, and haggling and all these things. And I went to the uh, couple car lots this past weekend, and I was all confident, like, oh, what am I, a schmuck? What am I, some kind of idiot? What do you think that I'm going to walk in here and just get taken advantage of? Well, no, that's not going to happen, but I'm going to walk in and not know what in the hell I'm doing, not know what in the hell I'm looking for or what I'm looking at. And um, I don't know what I want. I don't know what kind of money I do or don't want to spend. I'm lost. I need a new car. I'm going to figure that out in the next couple of weeks. So I got to do that. Got to pay for this damn tree I just got taken down. And now I got to buy a new computer, apparently. So just in time to quit that third job that had that extra cash, the trivia gig, I don't have any money to pay for all of that necessarily. But I'll figure it out. Let's see. Uh, School shooting. In Santa Fe, Texas. Wasn't it Texas? I think it was. I had nothing really more to add to that other than the same old thing. You know, the same old responses. The same old um, empty thoughts and prayers from people. The same old mad left screaming about guns. The same old mad right screaming about how uh, how guns don't kill people. People kill, you know, all the same stuff. It's just all the same. It's like just parrots. Just, you know, repeat, 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 repeat. And that shooting was what? The very end of um, of last week, which had been the middle of May. And I don't see a headline about it anywhere. I don't see anything about it anywhere. It's already old news. It's already a buried story. It's already something that we've moved on from. Why? Because we're not concerned with it anymore. It doesn't mean anything to us uh, like it used to. Now, let me rephrase that. It doesn't mean as much to us as it used to. It does immediately because of reaction time. And there's going to be a lot of themes that reoccur throughout today's show if I can get it together and get the train on the tracks and actually have a show like I planned. Each segment of the show is going to have some, at times, woven in and out, uh, themes that are going to kind of come back and forth. And one of the things I want to get into later on is, that'll, that'll kind of touch on this is reaction time. When, you ha- when, you're, when your reaction time's instant, it changes the way you respond. And it also changes the way that the memory lasts in, in your head. And right now, it's, it, it just it, stories like these happen in, in towns we've never heard of. Santa Fe, Texas? The hell Santa Fe, Texas? Now, if you're talking about Santa Fe, New Mexico, now we're talking about something everybody's familiar with. Santa Fe, Texas, where the hell is that? I don't know, and I don't really care. And I don't think many other people do either. I mean, it's sad. We don't want death. We don't want awfulness. We don't want atrocities. We don't want terrible things. But you're going to continue to have to process this information because these kinds of things just keep happening more and more. And it just, it just drifts off into the, 
in into the you know the buried story column over here and you know there might be something that pops up in the next week or two that grabs some attention but other than that it's it's already it's already an old it's already old news all right, I got one thought on the CFC. First, I'll tell you what's coming up on the show today. Uh, in the second segment of the show, I was born 20 years too late. I've talked about this in the past. I don't think I've done it anytime recently. I've always thought this, and I mean it the older that I get. I was born 20 years too late in this country. I wish I was 58, not 38. That's right. I wish right now, in the, in the year 2018, that I was 58 years old. And I'll get into in depth what I'm talking about that in the next segment. And in the third segment, this will be a four-segment show. Why are we so obsessed with the royal wedding? My thoughts on some of this. Also, some thoughts from a Huffington Post opinion piece. And overall, my, re, uh, my thoughts on a guy I met who is from London, or right outside of London, this past week, uh, over the weekend. He's here actually for a day and a half. We were going to talk on the podcast, but then he decided he didn't want to. I'll get to all that into the second and third segments. And then in the fourth segment, which will be a short one on the way out, a trip to Clay Bennett's voicemail. Yes, the Clay Bennett from the Chattanooga Times Free Press, the editorial cartoonist. And I've got a portion of his voicemail, which if you're friends with him on Facebook or follow him, you might have already heard. And back to that reaction time thing. How reaction time has everything to do with fake outrage and our rush to judgment on things. I'll get to that in segment number four. But so over the weekend, I wasn't going to go to the CFC. I wasn't going to do anything. I decided not to go to Spirits in the Wild at the zoo. or I was trying to just shut it down and be just, just quiet and work around the house for the weekend. But then my old friend that's a girl and who's not, she's still a friend. She's still a girl, but she's not really a friend that's a girl. Got, we started chit-chatting. Hey, you want to go to the game? Let's go hang out. Well, of course, I'm not going to say no to that. So we went to the game and had a great time. It was it was it was actually incredible. I mean, we we had a fun night, good weather, caught a couple of drinks in Danable at the Foundry afterwards, stayed safe, did everything uh, almost above board as far as most things are concerned, and it was an enjoyable night. The reason we're bringing all that up is I was going to a tailgate party, which was part of the reason why. I went as well because there was a little bit more than just hitting up the game and it was some friends and, and uh, you know, old, old friends and I had food and drink in a cooler in my car and I usually park at my day job and then walk, but I didn't feel like it. So I said, you know what, what the hell I'll bite the bullet and I will go pay for parking at the chatting football club and uh, the North lot over at Finley stadium, which is the best lot to park in and for mox games or whatever. And so I pull over there and I see, Ten bucks, ten doll hairs, ten bones. That's how much it was to park, which I don't know how much it used to be to park. I'm pretty sure it was $5. Not sure. Never done it before. Went ahead and paid the ten bucks. No problem. I'm happy to be here. I'm having a good time. I'm not all that worried about it. But I am overall from a... um, uh, People are aware of it, so I put on Facebook... I love CFC, I love CFC, I love CFC, I love CFC, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, $10 parking, question mark. And I got a handful of people who reacted in certain ways. I wasn't overly paying close attention to what all that was. I just wanted to kind of throw it out there. I've long heard and long hear the rumors of, and you know how I'm normally 
really, really, really want to be careful with how you do or don't word things as far as gossip spreading and rumor mongering and rumor mill spreading. But I had heard from more than a few people pretty close with the situation that it was somewhat of a contentious relationship between the Chattanooga Football Club and Finley Stadium management itself. And more now than I've heard that, I now know that to be true uh, by the conversation electronically I had with one who will remain uh, nameless at this point and probably will stay that way over the weekend, responding to my Facebook page. And I'm not real sure what CFC thinks they're going to be able to do without Finley Stadium. I don't know what Finley Stadium thinks they're going to do without CFC. There's not a lot of events there that bring a lot of money. The high school football games are not that profitable. The UTC agreement for a football there is not overly lucrative. I'm not sure how much money is coming in from the city anymore for funding of the stadium. I know for the longest time there was lots, 60 to 90 some odd thousand dollars a year, but I think a lot of that went away many years ago when the stadium got closer to self-sufficient. And part of the reason the stadium got closer to self-sufficient was because of the Chattanooga Football Club. Now, to say that they saved the stadium might be a little bit of, a, of an exaggeration, but to say that they surely helped in its, in its more of a thriving nature is, is, is very, very much uh, the case and very, very true. Because uh, lo- losing the 1AA National Championship game in 2009 was a blow, but that was right when the Chattanooga Football Club was starting up. Now, the championship football game was a fun event and uh, brought big-time money in to the, to the south side of Chattanooga and, the down- and the, all of the city of Chattanooga, for that matter. I'm not sure how much money the city actually made on it. They probably lost money on that game. Uh, it would it appear that they probably do better without it. But I don't think Finley Stadium wants to lose CFC, and I don't think CFC needs to you know, even start thinking about losing Finley Stadium. The stadium kind of gives the soccer club a little bit of its uh, credibility in a lot of ways, its legitimacy. It makes it the, the, the jewel of the league, the jewel of the south of the MPSL, the jewel of the entire country potentially. I really hope that there's a way that everybody can get on the same page and make sure that they keep this relationship going for a long time. Now, the only other place that this team could play soccer at that would make sense is if there was a multi-use stadium built on the south side down towards the uh, Wheeland Foundry that's just a, literally looking like a ghost town uh, over off uh, near uh, Moccasin Bend and I-24, which is the worst-kept secret in the city, which is going to happen at some point. Nashville does it with their AAA stadium. They play soccer and baseball there. We could do that here as well. Do we want to do that? I don't know. It's not my money. It's not my district. Uh, it is my county. It's not my city. I don't live in Chattanooga. I live in East Ridge. So I don't have a lot of say in who, who does or doesn't spend that money. And when it comes to spending tax dollars... I generally am for them being spent on entertainment complexes. I do not mind my money going, uh, tax money going to entertainment because I like to be entertained and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, Now, I'd like there to be some private money in there as well. And I don't know any specifics on that, but there will be a new lookout stadium. Lookouts are gone from the Cameron Hill downtown eventually. That's a bad spot. Doesn't make any sense. Made sense 20 years ago. Doesn't make any sense now. But that's really the only other viable option that the Chattanooga Football Club has to play meaningful soccer in this city. Right now, the only option is is Finley Stadium. 
So I'm not sure where the breakdown is or where the issues are. No one's giving me those exact details. But it is absolutely positively true that the relationship is not as good as, it, as we'd all like it to be and at times can be maybe in the neighborhood of toxic. I don't know for sure, but I do know that somebody very close with the, uh, with the team, with the, with the club, has said that this is, this is less than ideal. And the parking thing was just done with no regard to the team, no cons- consultation with the team or the board members or uh, of, of the Chattanooga Football Club itself. And they're not making any money off that parking. That is strictly Finley Stadium management putting that money in their pocket, from what I am to understand. So a lot of that I know to be absolutely true. Some of it is a little conjecture. But I will just say this. On the way out here of this first disastrous segment of this podcast, The Weekly Dose for the 23rd of May, is that I am an advocate for this for this uh, soccer team. And I am a long-time, probably the youngest, oldest, if that makes sense, advocate for this stadium i've been going to this stadium since the day it opened in 1997 i was there with a sold out game with donnie kirkpatrick and the uh the coach of the 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 mocks and the air raid 2000 and they still sucked in and they suck now again too and no one goes to watch at mocks games and they never will but i've been going to that stadium that long all those championship games concerts which are used to only been a few whatever whatever events going on there i'm usually down i love the facility the adjacent First Tennessee Pavilion is a perfect place for events. It is a jewel of the city. It was crowned the jewel of the South Side by the Chattanooga Times Free Press in like 1999 or somewhere shortly after it was built. And to this day, it still is. It's dated. It's got some problems structurally and probably um, even more with you know needing upgrades as far as amenities such as you know flat screens in the in the skyboxes and and electronics and scoreboards. All that needs needs. Updates, no doubt, but the facility itself is a high-quality stadium, and I'm a stadium kind of guy. I'm a stadium snob, more a baseball park, but I know a good facility when I see one, and Finley Stadium is incredible. It's great, and the Chattanooga Football Club is incredible. They're great. Just got to figure out a way to make sure they can both coexist together, which is far, far above my pay grade. On the way out of here on the first segment of the show, this is a new music discovery, as we call it. At Alt 98.7, it's a band called Wild Child. The song's called Think It Over. And speaking of that uh, friend that's a girl, this song actually fits our uh, kind of, how do they say it on social media, quote-unquote, it's complicated kind of situation. Coming up next, I was born 20 years too late. I wish I was 58 years old right now, not 38 years old. And I'll tell you why next on the Stone on Air podcast. I've been waiting for you. No, it's almost as though we have the president's defense lawyer is the president. And, you know, he operates in a, in a sort of a fascinating uh, genre, which is a New York media genre. It's straight out of Roy Cohn, uh, Joe McCarthy's chief counsel's playbook, which is you just fight all the time. 
if you take a punch, you hit back twice as hard. That's certainly what uh, Mayor Giuliani's doing out there. They're fighting a war on cable and on social media to get the base girded for battle. They are pre trying to delegitimize whatever Director Mueller may come up with. And remember, there are also two tracks here. There's the criminal justice track that you've been discussing, and then there's a political track. Gerald Ford once said, a high crime and misdemeanor is whatever a majority of the House and Senate decided is at any given moment. Welcome back to the show. I hope, again, that there's not hiccups and breaks and blips and breaks in the audio on this piece of shit computer. God. I'm just watching. It's just stuttering all over the place. I don't know if this... Fucking God. I'm at one minute and 30. It went from 128 to 132. Ugh. And I, I, it's too late. I have no option but to just continue fighting through this goddamn mess. Ugh. I know this is this is the worst podcast I've ever done. I'm so sorry that you're having to sit through this, and so sorry I put so much damn effort into doing what I thought was going to be a good show. All right, regain my composure here just a little bit. This is Tom Petty. That whole intro right there, that's John Meacham talking about, you well, you heard what he was talking about. I had a different direction for all this, and it just didn't work uh, because of all this mess. And I already put it together, and I wasn't going to not use it because I already produced uh, that original thought starter, which was not this. So anyway, what I was talking about going into this segment was is that I have often said, and I've often meant, and even at a very young age, that I believe that I was born 20 years, 10 for sure, 10 no doubt, but I believe closer to 20 years too late, which means that I am that would make me a very, very old Gen Xer, which that's not even, that that's too old to be a Gen Xer, but it's also too young to be a baby boomer as we generally define them. And here's what got me thinking about this. Uh, uh, you know, believe it or not, saw this posted from uh, Bill Colris, uh, formerly of the uh, Pulse, way back when. Nuga.com has done lots of freelance writing. A uh, friend of mine, and uh, I saw this on his Facebook page, and I immediately uh, identified with it. And it just doesn't mean a whole lot, but it was. It just started getting the thought bubble bouncing around, the idea balls in my head. So this is pop goes a tradition county cracks down on free popcorn in hardware stores this is from peter Rowe and wherever the hell this is in san diego around san diego county where i was actually born in san diego county that's not san diego proper but it is the county a hot salty buttered controversy has popped up should hardware stores offer free bags of freshly popped popcorn while that may look like a warm, welcoming treat, free popcorn is a threat to public health, or so argue county officials. They explained we didn't have the proper permits, said Bob Bob Meanley, whose shop has handed out 30 to 40 bags every day for about 25 years. To comply with the 1984, 1984 
California Uniform Retail Food Facility Law, meaningly and Son would need, that's the name of the hardware store, would need to install a three-basin sink to clean and sterilize the popcorn popper. Also required, regular inspections just like a restaurant. Meaningly declined and instead rolled the offending machine into storage, thus ended a tradition that he had started a quarter century ago. Meanly and Son's fate was sealed with a tip phoned into authorities. Employees popped the corn, but the rest of the operation was self-serve, with a scoop of ba- a scoop and bags set out for patrons. The tipster claimed that the folks stuck their bare fingers into the machine, plucking out handfuls of popcorn. Meaning just random people, probably kids. Probably, I don't know. I don't know who would do that, but people are dumb and that kind of stuff happens. And I immediately posted to this, uh, or responded to this post on Bill's page and said that, and I'm not a handyman. I don't do handyman work, but I cut grass and kill weeds and, you know, do that this stuff that regular, you know, talentless as far as people who work on things and are crafty around the house. People do. Regular upkeep. And I often just make up a reason to go to Ace Hardware on a Saturday afternoon to get a bag of popcorn. They're little bags that they would put nails in. You know what I'm talking about. The little brown bags that say Ace on them. You either have nails in there or screws or popcorn. And yeah, it's just a popcorn popper. And yeah, the thing doesn't really look like it's been cleaned anytime recently. And yeah, it's self-serve. I get, okay, and yeah, I get gov- regular health inspection regulations. I used to work in the food industry for years as a late teenager, early 20-something. I'm well aware of the health standard codes of, of the health department. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to lose my damn mind in my, my little bit older middle age here. And this is, it made me think, I, I just wish things weren't like they are now. I, w- I, w- I wish that I could have I lived longer when I didn't have to deal with this kind of stupid shit. Um, of course, it's not overly sanitary. Also, you're eating popcorn. The stuff is awful for you. The empty calories, the sodium, the butter, the just awful ingredients that go into popcorn. It's just a way to get people to come in there. Yeah, I was in there once, and some kid had his hands in there and was dropping it all over the floor, and he is eating it off the damn floor. Is the argument correct that this should probably be handled differently? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Probably, yes. But this law that they're trying to uh, conform to is from 1984. 1984 for 34 years. This this wasn't a problem. And it's one of those, it should be just, I don't know, there should be an asterisk somewhere. Listen, of course, this is not, this is not something you should be expecting to be a high-quality situation. You're in a freaking hardware store, and you want a couple pieces of popcorn, it's like getting, you know, the the dum dums or whatever they're called at the bank back in the day. Hey, here's a here's a dum dum sucker. Oh, I those have made my damn day. Mom had to go to the bank. How many got in there? Here's four dum dums. Made my damn day. It was, it was it was childhood 101. Were those things sealed? No, they weren't. They weren't sealed. Did somebody open it and lick it and put it back in there? Maybe. Did someone lace it with LSD? <laughs> no, but I guess they could have. And it just it just got me. I read that, and then I I posted on that, and then we talked about it back and forth. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm twenty. I'm born twenty years too late. Born twenty years too late.
Here's what I would like to have happened. If I could, if I could, if I could pick my life, if I could pick the way that it went, and I was able to keep my same general mannerisms and overall um, characteristics and overall uniqueness that is me, whether that's good or bad, but just the what what has made me me to now. If I could have guaranteed, I could have kept at least most of that. Here's what I would have liked. I wish that with a somewhat developed brain, with a mostly sound mind, and a semi-mature white American life, I wish I could have had all of, been to that point before all of the following. Now, I don't wish all the following didn't happen. I'm glad some of them happened, not glad of others, and understand that how the evolution of life is. I'm not a Luddite. I don't hate technology. I love technology. I've grown up around it my whole life, and I've used it to my advantage in many, many different ways. And so this isn't me saying I wish these things weren't here. This is me saying I wish that I was a mostly mature, mostly developed brain before these things happened. That way I could have a better appreciation for the primitive nature and of, of things that I liked and the nature of the things the way they were before they got awful, if that makes any sense. So I wish that I was a fully functional, somewhat mature adult before the internet. Before the internet was a thing. Now, this is going to branch. You can branch into several different things on this, and I won't go into all different uh, you know, roads and down every little nook and cranny here. But overall, I wish that I was a fully grown adult without the internet. I was close. I was close. But I was 15, 16 by the time the internet and AOL became a thing. I wish I was at least 26 or maybe closer to 30. Life is great with the internet. But you know what? Life was really great without the internet, too. It's one of those situations where you don't know what you're missing. If you don't know what you're missing, you'll never miss it. Life was great in 1987 without it. Life was great in 1975 without it. I wish that I was a fully grown adult white male with the same characteristics that I have now before the internet. I also wish I didn't have to be a young person growing up around the advent of ADHD. Listen, kids have been having trouble paying attention to things that they are uninterested in since the beginning of time. This isn't a new situation that popped up in the late 80s or maybe it was more like the mid 90s. I don't know for sure, but it was when I was in my teens, definitely for sure. Kids have always had trouble paying attention to things that they are uninterested in. That ain't new. We just decided to call it something and start prescribing children drugs. Yes, the last couple generations, we have turned into a nation of drug addicts. I wish I was a fully grown adult male with the same characteristics before all these other medical conditions became a thing. IBS, Crohn's, gastrointestinal disease, acid reflux. If you don't know what all those things are, just go look them up. You'll find out. It used to be if you got sick because of the shitty food you eat, you had to convince yourself to somehow treat yourself better, to somehow eat better, to somehow have life, lifestyle changes. That was your only option. Not now. We make up names and then we make up drugs and we take them because, once again, we are a nation of drug addicts. I might have eventually become one anyway, 
but I wish I was a fully grown adult male with similar characteristics that I have now before all that was a thing. Before video game consoles. I don't hate video games. I'm not mad at people playing video games. But young, developing minds, well before the video game console, had the freedom to enhance their character development with real-world situations, real human interaction, real nature interaction, in a more natural, organic way, without the creative prison of virtually collecting coins or saving the princess or eating all the dots or shooting all the ducks or whatever the game might be, getting all the rings. While that was fun, and I'm not mad or don't think it should happen, I wish I grew up when I didn't have the opportunity to, to play those. Now, I'd be love the opportunity at you know 40 to sit around and play some video games because I'm bored. My mind's already where it's going to be. The brain's fully developed. It might not have been developed well, but it's done, and it won't be thwarted by this obsessive, sheltering nature that is video game obsession and culture. From my sports watching and development evolution of the game of professional sports, I wish that I was fully grown with the same characteristics before Tommy John surgery and strained obliques and all kinds of different injuries and ailments that we've never heard of. Because before designer pharma and obsessive extreme fitness took control of everything, you didn't have to worry about your favorite sports players inevitably having a terrible injury that ruins your team's season. Now, they still had injuries at times, but generally it just ended their career, and that was it. You didn't have to worry about every one of your favorite pitchers eventually having to have surgery that didn't exist 40 years ago. And one last one, I wish so badly, so badly, that I was a fully grown adult and a working professional and an inspiring media broadcasting professional before the digital takeover and the saturation of the broadcasting field. There's only one skill in life that I have that I do really well, and it's this line of work. And at one time, it actually paid really, really well. If I was 30 years old in 1995, I would be one of the most successful radio people in the entire Southeast. I mean that a thousand percent. Keeping in mind that I, that I and this isn't fair to the argument, but keeping in mind that I, I have the similar path in life and the similar brain function that I have now, just at set at a different time, I'd be one of the most successful radio people in the Southeast, no doubt. I'd have worked all over the country. I'd have been from one job to the next. I would have no shortage of opportunities for different work all over the country because it was a lucrative business and there was a booming business in the mid to late 80s and certainly into the 90s and then right into the early 2000s it started to fade away and that's exactly when I got into it. And then it turned into an impoverished career choice. So there you go. There's a few things that I wish that I could have been a fully grown adult before those things happened, if for nothing else, for just some better perspective. So here's how old I would be during these different landmarks over the course of the last 30 to 40 years. The moon landing in 1969. 
assuming all things equal, I'd have been nine years old, sitting in front of a black and white TV on a shag carpet watching the moon landing. When Richard Nixon resigned, I would have been 14 years old. When the United States defeated Russia in Olympic hockey, I would have been 20 years old. The year that MTV debuted, I would have been 21. When compact discs became affordable, I would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 27 years old. When the grunge era of music in the early 90s began, I would have been around 31 years old. When Bill Clinton was inaugurated, I would have been 32 years old, just shy of turning 33. When the attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, I would have been 41 years old. The first Bonnaroo, I would have been 42 years old. When the first iPhone was released, I'd have been 47 years old. And when Don Trump was elected president of the United States, I would have been 56 years old, putting me at 58 years old at the present time. I have no problem with those ages at the times that those landmark, legendary things in the United States happen. Rather than read about a lot of those things or be too young to understand them as they happen, I wish that I was 58 and not 38. And that's not because I hate technology and advancement and progress, because I don't. I'm on that side. I just love primitive nature of things just because I just do. All right, I'm going to get out of here and get on to segment number three. Appreciate you guys dealing with this mess today. In the third segment, the royal wedding, people are freaking out about it. And uh, why are we so obsessed with the royal wedding? And I met a guy from England. He was actually supposed to be on the podcast today. And then he bailed out the last second. I'll tell you all about that coming up next. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. It is a glorious spring morning, and literally thousands have gathered for the royal wedding. People are still filing inside the abbey to watch the prince and princess of Canada exchange their vows. What a great day for Canadians everywhere. The Winnipeg drummers playing the March of a Thousand Farts, as is traditional for the Canadian royal family. All the biggest Canadian celebrities are on hand. There are Sirs Terence and Philip. With their wives, the lovely Queef sisters. There are Canadian recording artists, Sir Brian Adams and Sir Corey Hart. Everyone looking smashing today. And uh, there he is, the Prince of Canada. What a wonderful day it is for him. What a wonderful day it is for all of us. Inside the Abbey now, everyone waiting with anticipation. Prince makes his way down the aisle, led by the Bishop of Newfoundland. People in attendance now gently tossing Captain Crunch as the Prince passes by, as of course is tradition. Prince takes his place next to the large vat of butterscotch pudding. Oh, and here she comes. Yes, there she is. The about-to-be Princess of Canada. Isn't she ravishing? So pure of heart, so strong in body, so hot in the face. She is indeed the living symbol of our great country. My God, she's beautiful. Did you hear that? Did you hear that clip right there? Jesus. God, I love the Lord. All right, so that was South Park, uh, the spoof of 
I guess that would have been the um, Prince. Oh, why am I blanking? Who the hell was the other one? Oh, yeah, Prince William and uh, Kate Middleton from several years ago. They did the spoof of it being the royal wedding of Canada. And I've always been really fascinated with European culture. It is, I, I've got to, I've got to get there someday. You know, the chances are, I wouldn't say they're not likely. I mean, the Titans are playing there this year. I guess if there was a reason to finally go, it sure as hell could have been this year. But I, I exhausted all my uh, vacation paid time off before that game was announced and. Hell, I just got done bitching about a car and a tree and a computer. That's All that combined is about a quarter of the cost of just getting to England. So who am I kidding? But I'd like to do it one of these days. Slang, culture, um, history, everything about the UK. British, Wales, Scotland, uh, Ireland, all that, all that area over there is fascinating to me. Now, I'm not so fascinated. I care about... Some people getting married because I don't care about anybody getting married. I mean, I, I I think generally speaking, the idea of marriage is a pretty uh, ridiculous idea unless you're absolutely sold to it with a solid plan that you go through with and you actually fulfill on the end by raising a family and uh, you know with this big goal that you actually come through it. Then I think getting married and having a family is a great idea. Problem is, most people don't do that. So. When I hear, uh, I've mentioned it many times over the years, uh, it would, the three things people always get congratulated on, getting married, having a baby, buying a house. All three of those things can ruin your life, oftentimes quicker than they'll ever be good for your life. So, hey, I bought a house. Hey, sure, sure you should have done that. Hey, I'm having a baby. Oh, my God, why? Hey, we're getting married. Holy hell, why? Are you, are you pregnant or something? So, anyway. So, I'll get to the royal wedding here in a minute and something that I read from Huffington Post in my own thoughts on why we're so obsessed the united states is anyway of this uh this wedding and start off with this guy i met over the weekend we were playing our sandlot pickup ball over at the east brainer ball fields it was the first time this year we got together we got about 14 of us it was so much fun it's one of my favorite things to do grew up playing these just pickup games real baseball not little girl softball real baseball now we're not trying to strike each other out we are just throwing batting practice but it's the real deal. And so I'm out in the outfield. I'm shagging I'm shagging fly balls. And I see, and we're, we're taking turns with some batting practice. And I see a guy at the plate who clearly doesn't know what he's doing. And we've had a few of those before over the years. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, okay. At least he's a warm body. Maybe he can catch the ball and throw it to us, and we'll just put him out in right field. Well, then I see two or three different guys of our regulars, good hitters, you know, fundamentally sound, over there, like, coaching them up. Showing him how to hold the bat, showing him how to you know where to put his shoulder, showing him where to where to put his weight on his legs while he's you know while he's following through and hitting the ball, and I'm thinking, wait a second, we've had crummy players out here for years, and no one stopped to like give them instruction. What is what, what is going on over there? Whatever. A little while later, I come walking in and I hear the dude talking. He looks like a normal white uh, late twenty something kid. He just looks like all the rest of us. And, uh, well, uh, some of us are older than others, but you get the point. And I walk by and I hear this incredibly thick English accent. And I I thought, okay, whoa, hold on. So I stopped. I was like, clearly you ain't from around here. And uh, it turns out he was just visiting 
one of our buddies we play with for a week. He met they met somewhere abroad during college or something. And he was he's leaving on Thursday. So tomorrow, if you happen to be listening to this on the day this podcast drops. And he is a uh, one of his studies, one of his uh, majors, I don't know what exactly they call it at, at the schooling he does, but is a focus on international governments and culture. And one of his strong points of study was the United States of America. And I was just immediately fascinated by this guy. More on that in a second. So back to the not being able to know how to swing a bat. This guy, 28 years old, this kid, has never played baseball in his life. Knew nothing about the game. Fundamentally didn't have a clue. When we were in the dugout, he ended up on our team. And he was he might as well not have been there. He couldn't hit. He couldn't catch. I mean, just imagine being 28 years old and never decide, never thought about or even considered how a baseball is supposed to be caught or thrown. You just can't do it. And it doesn't matter how gifted athletically you are or not. If you've never done it before, you can't do it. And he didn't know. Like He was like, so do we all? And I can't do it, British accent, but... Can't do does do we all bat every inning or how many times do we bat in an inning? And he doesn't know that he doesn't know what a foul ball is. He doesn't know what a fair ball is. I mean, just a basic understanding he does not have. And so it was interesting. I, that fascinated me immediately. And I said, dude, I would love to sit down and you can just call me. We can do it on the phone and have a segment talking to you about this. Just just different cultures and 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 all that. Not not trying to like make fun or or trying to be superior. I just want to talk about the differences between our cultures. And since you're involved in study, international studies of, of cultures and governments, and your focus is on the United States, I would love to know what some of your thoughts are. I'd like to have wide sweeping generalizations. I'd like to have uh, very, very specific uh, anecdotal conversations. Uh, man, I'd be fascinated by this. And his accent was really thick. Like you had to listen pretty closely or you might have trouble understanding him. And he, I think he was humoring me. He was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. And then I got a hold of his buddy uh, the next day. He said, man, this has got, this has got to happen. we got to do this. So I already had like half the podcast set up to be talking to him. And he he was like, man, yeah, he decided he didn't want to do it. He's looking for a job. You know, he's internationally traveling. He's afraid if he gets on something, it might, you know, he just, I don't know why. And I said, well. I got respect for that. I can't, you know, can't blame the guy. No, doesn't know me from anybody and, you know, wants to jump on something to record and sit around and talk. For all he knows, I'm going to sit around and make fun of him. You know, I, I don't know. So I get it. So that didn't happen. But I just thought that was really interesting. That could be Because then I thought about it. It'd be like me or you or any of us going over to London, meeting some people, our contemporaries, or at least they look like our contemporaries, and saying, hey, you want to go play a pickup game of cricket? Uh, <laughs> I guess. I have no damn idea how to play, but I guess I'll give it a try. And because uh, I honestly don't know how, what cricket is at all, other than I think they're on horses or they have a little bat or something. No, they're not horses. That's something else. Whatever. I just made my point, you know, double down on my point there. But so I was going to tie that in to talking to him and then bring it into the royal wedding. Why is this such a thing? Why are people so fascinated with it in America? And I've had this thought for a long time, and this is where this piece from um, uh, Huffington Post goes is is just the fairy tales that we live and teach and dream about in this country generationally, uh, princesses and kings and you know wealth beyond uh, belief and power beyond imagination and I I think that the royal family and the way that they present themselves is the living version of that 
And uh, whether it's not necessarily correct or true or right or factual, but I think that that's a perception is, and they they exude class and, and elegance from a cover of People magazine standpoint. So this is why, or here's why Americans are so obsessed with the royals, the psychology behind the phenomenon. And this goes on and on and on. I'm just going to touch on a few things later on, but the first part I wanted to read a little bit more uh, verbatim. Nearly 23 million U.S. viewers watched the coverage of Prince William and Kate Middleton's 2011 wedding. An estimated 33.2 million in the U.S. watched Princess Diana's funeral in 1997. And around 17 million tuned in to see her 1981 wedding with Prince Charles. Quote, I think it's fair to say that the American people are quite fond of the royal family. Then President Barack Obama remarked during a 2015 Oval Office meeting with Prince Charles. He goes on to say, they like them much better than they like our own politicians. Yeah, y'all think? But why are Americans so fascinated with British monarchs and their relatives? We spoke to psychologists and royal family experts to find out. Quote, we are fascinated and obsessed with fairy tales. They have been a part of our society's fabric since childhood. They help us escape from the everyday mundane, says Dr. Varma, a psychiatrist and clinical assistant professor at New York University's Langone Medical Center. For people who grew up on Disney movies and fairy tale storybooks, the British royal family represents a real-life fantasy, one that people can follow closely and live out vicariously. Quote, status, wealth, and power are alluring. It's the other side of average. It's the unattainable that is intriguing, says Dr. Varma. Alluding to the younger royal spouses, she added, people also love a rags-to-riches story. People love opulence, being rescued. So many kids' stories involve princesses and kings. We identify, or at least we want to, with feeling wanted, important, and in control. And then there's several other long-winded reasons that go into this from a psychological standpoint, from escapism. Uh, there's so much, in 2018, the escapism may be even more alluring. It's no secret if it, Americans feel pessimistic about the state of U.S. politics and stressed out by the news cycle. Stories about Prince Harry's upcoming wedding are a welcome distraction for many. It's another case of witnessing history is why a lot of people are into uh, really overly obsessed. The human connection. It's a real-life Truman show. Arian Chernock, an associate professor of modern British history, said it's a real-life Truman show. The royal family is one of the longest-running reality TV shows in history, and it's part of our history as we have followed some of the characters our whole lives. It's the Truman Show with complicit characters. And so as I put the wraps on this segment, I was reading something the other day as I was doing research for what I thought was going to be the interview with that kid. Uh, still a little disappointed that that didn't happen, but I was reading something that I thought this was a very interesting point, and I'm totally paraphrasing because I don't remember where it came from, what it exactly said, but it said, in many ways, the United States is England's greatest accomplishment because without the way history unfolded the united states would have never become what we know it is today and it is a direct or maybe i should say more of an indirect effect of the cause of what was happening at the time 200 and closer to 50 years ago now i thought that was a really interesting point that the united states is england's greatest accomplishment 
in the history of the many great things that that area of the world has done. I mean, in a lot of ways, I believe this 100% based on how old other cultures, countries in the world and, and, and time is, we're still an experiment. The United States of America is still a small sample size compared to the rest of the world. Now, it's a, it's, it's a pretty good sample size, but in comparison, in relative terms, it is still a pretty small sample size. And in a lot of ways, we need to be careful with how we handle the freedom that we have because it's one of those, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it and then you might not like how it ends. Fortunately, even though I'm not 58 and only 38, I feel like for my lifetime, this country's going to work out pretty good for me. 100 years from now, there ain't no damn telling. I'm going to step away here for one more quick swing into a shift of a final segment. And I've settled down a little bit. Everything seems to be working all right now. But I'm now I'm tired. Now I'm ready to just put the end on this. And so the final segment of the show will probably be pretty short. We'll take a trip to Clay Bennett, the editorial cartoonist from the Chattanooga Times Free Press, award-winning, multiple award-winning cartoonist. We'll talk about that for a minute and put the wraps on the show coming up next. This is the Stone On Air podcast. And uh, I'll be right back. And we'll never be royal. It's a one in our blood. That kind of love's just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. Let me be your ruler. You can call me Queen Bee. And baby, I'll rule. Let me live that fantasy. We'll be right back. This is cool. Stoneonair.com. Message received today at 3.44 a.m. God, you're so pathetic. You really are pathetic. You can draw, and you're really good with computer, by the way. Man, you're pathetic. You're liberal. You're just such an idiot, dude. Oh, God. But at least you're consistent. You're consistently wrong. You're such an idiot. God. God, you're an idiot. Too late. So that was left on Clay Bennett's voicemail that he shared on Facebook, so I grabbed it. I told him I was going to do it in case anybody wonders. Hoping to have Clay Bennett on the show one of these days. He has agreed to do it. But that was over a year ago, and then we just haven't been able to put together a time frame that works for both of us. He is an editorialist. He is a, uh, I, I think he'd probably say a, a liberal, I guess. I mean, the ultra-right loves to use liberal as a bad word. I'm a liberal. I, mean, I don't care what anybody says about that. I'm not a crazy left-wing nut job, but... Um, And I, I originally had this idea of putting together something with that John Meacham audio from earlier and just kind of talking about the insanity of the way people react to things. And I can't remember what my original point was because it got all derailed because I thought I was going to, which was fine, I didn't want it anymore. I thought I was going to have the interview with the uh, English kid, and then that fell through. So then I had to try to remember, wait a second, what was I going to do there? And I think in the end my main 
point was uh, that I was eventually going to get to. I don't remember how I was going to do it. I, you know, I like to walk around the world to go ten steps. I, I it's reaction time. Like that that dude who left that voicemail probably hasn't read a newspaper in um, probably this decade. And if he's ever read a newspaper at all, depending on how old the guy would be. So he sees these things on social media and he immediately reacts and gets mad and picks up the phone and leaves voicemails and sends surely countless posts and trolls on the Internet. It's because of this immediate reaction time that we have all collectively lost our minds. It was so much fun when social media was just a kid thing. Because I was a kid when this first became a thing. I've been on social media very likely longer than most anybody listening to this right now. Or at least we're tied for about the longest. Because either you're too old or you're too young to have been on it longer. It was becoming a thing when I was 21, 22 years old. And then it became a mobile thing. And that's when that's that's the key word right there. Mobile. When this When social media went mobile, that's when the country started to collectively lose their mind so i would say that that would probably be around 2012 is when it started to spread because the iphone came out in 07 barack obama was elected president in 08 and partially got a lot of push and a lot of excitement and a lot of votes because of the influence that his campaign had on social media adults didn't know what social media was at that point. Adults meaning anybody over the age of, of, as of 2008, if you were over the age of 40, you probably didn't know what the hell Facebook was. I wasn't on Facebook yet by 2008, and I was 28 then. Uh, that was MySpace days at that point still. To, uh, Facebook came about that time, about 2009. So, you know, McCain voters didn't know what social media was. And so, but at that point, it was just basically fueled by laptop and computer and maybe I probably iPads to a certain degree. There some people might have had a few of those, but it wasn't completely mobile yet. And it started to probably at the next election cycle in 2012, but probably didn't start to really get into the mass uh, of volumes of people's hands until closer to 13, 14, and then more in 15, and that's when the campaign season starts and Trump starts his whispering and then more than whispering, screaming that he might run, and then into 16. Now we're really talking about most people being completely connected and mobile. And as soon as you were able to stand in the grocery line and respond to something you saw on Facebook, whether it was fake or not, you could immediately react. You didn't have time to sit down and think about it. So when you sit down... And you, and you do think about it, and you look at the time lapse here, 2018. To me, 20, 2008 wasn't that long ago, but it was 10 years ago. And the difference between 2008 and 2018 in connectivity is light years. Light years. So then you want to go back to thinking about, let's say, I don't know, Prodigy dial-up. Remember Prodigy? Computer dial-up back in like 1994, 95? It took, if you were lucky, you could get connected within a half hour, 
20 minutes or so. And if you didn't get bumped off basically as soon as you got on and you kept the phone lines free and no one picked up the phone while you were trying to connect to the message board, then you could maybe get into these chat rooms and have some conversations about some stuff. Now, at night, at night, 14 years old in 1994, I was 14. I'd rather be 34 based on my past segments earlier, but I would just be talking about music or whatever. But back then, you had to really, really fight and claw your way in. You're not going to waste time on something that doesn't make any, that, that, that's not that important when you're having to really, really struggle to get connected. Well, fast forward 20, or excuse me, 1994 to 2004. All right. Well, 2004, our internet speeds are starting to be faster, but they're still not that reliable. There's still, it's still not that prevalent. It's not in everybody's access at all times. So you're just sometimes being able to get connected. And when you do, you value the time you have. You value that precious moments that you get to do something special and get to go online and look at things you don't, you're not generally able to do. And once you're done doing this, you won't be able to do it again for some kind of prolonged time, likely. So you don't waste your time on things that don't matter. 2008. Four or five years later after from from 04, now high-speed internet is becoming a thing for most everybody, but it's still a treat. It's still something you don't get to do every minute of your day. It's something you get to do for portions of your day. So once again, now you've started to expand the reach, and so your reactions expand as well, and now you might poke around a little bit more and you might look at a few more Facebook messages or MySpace posts or, uh, and then as Twitter came around in 2009, which was immediately the, you know, it was a Snapchat before there was Snapchat. And then the turn of the last decade starts and everybody starts to have this in their hand 24 hours a day. And you don't have any patience anymore or any kind of attention span and it's just fire off oh hey i've got access 24 hours a day so i'm just gonna say whatever i want whenever i want because you don't value your time in this medium any well anymore because this medium has become a part of your life this is the royal you speaking of royals the, the royal we the royal you not you you not me me we don't value that time anymore we don't respect the opportunity to, for the connectivity anymore. We don't respect it. We demand it. And if we don't get it, we're mad about it. And then we're going to let everybody know what we're mad about once we get it. It's turned us all into a bunch of assholes. And we we're already a bunch of assholes to begin with. But now we're doubled down. And now we're some of the worst assholes ever. On top of that, idiots everywhere. Numb nuts, numb skulls, dingbats. All around the place don't know what the hell's going on. And they don't have any respect for anything and don't care about much of anybody other than ourselves. And that's, I don't know exactly even the point of, why, of where I was just going with this uh, nearly 10-minute segment. But I think that's about all I got. And I guess I just, I, my point to a lot of that is, sometimes we should probably slow down and, and think, who really gives a shit what that guy on Facebook just said? I'm doing a lot better with this. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I got my hand right there on the shoulder patting it. I'm doing a lot better with this. I ain't got in a fight on Facebook in, I'd say, at least a year. Probably more like closer to two. And around the, the time when uh, Trump was first starting to, to, to campaign, I was being pretty abrasive on social media. And I was always pretty 
pretty loud and proud. And I've always been that way my whole life, for better or worse. And I take back a lot of the things I did and said. And I've lost a lot of uh, connections on social media. I've lost a lot of clicks. I've lost a lot of downloads. I've lost a lot of um, website traffic from people who used to give me lots of traffic because they did, you know, I was being a dick and, you know, maybe they probably were too. If I could do it over again, I'd never done any of that. Um, and it's the quicker you can get over that, I think the, the better you're going to do. And don't hide everything you don't like on social media. If you've got some extremes out there, do hide those. Get rid of those. Get rid of extremes that are just trolling. But if you got people that disagree, i got people that disagree all over my damn timeline. I don't care about any of them. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't give one damn about any of them. And if you really did a lot of research, you'd realize that they're, they're, not, they're not important or interesting or matter enough to spend your time caring about. I don't know. Don't call the local newspaper cartoonist and call him an idiot in the middle of the night on a on his on his work phone. That's just it's just ridiculous. Now I most of us understand that. Most of us get that. But there are still American idiots everywhere. All right, guys, I'm gonna cut and run, hit the bricks, be done with this thing. Be back on the radio Monday through Friday, three to seven on Alt 98.7 on the FM dial in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You can find that online, alt98.com, and download that mobile app. And hopefully I'll get my website together again one of these days. But right now the expenditure reports are high. And uh, my my uh, distribution company is having to pick up uh, all the bill. And by distribution company, I mean me. <laughs> I'm a one-man band. I appreciate you finding the show. If you're still here after all this, Drek, then uh, I, I truly value your existence. I'll tell you that right now. And a rate and review if you get a chance, special on iTunes. I got an, uh, a review since I begged for one last week. Thank you to whoever did that. And if you're in that same area, I'd appreciate that. I might read some of those reviews and listener feedback, emails, and such that I've gotten in the weeks to come. All right, so that's all I got. Uh, thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. <laughs>